0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Letter of Law Interviews. My name is Sartham Paratvaj, and in the 16th episode of this interview series, I am absolutely delighted, thrilled, and very, very excited to be in conversation with Aradhya Setia. Uh, Aradhya graduated from National Law School, Bangalore, and went on to Yale to study for an LLM degree as an INLAC scholar. And he then did his MPhil from Oxford and is currently a PhD candidate at the University of Cambridge. So he has been educated at all the top institutions in India and abroad. And in today's episode, we will try to learn about his journey. And hopefully our viewers who are interested in pursuing a higher legal education will benefit from it. Other than that, Aradhya is a prolific writer and researcher. I will link his scholarship in the description section of this video, so be sure to check his work out. Um, with that, hi, Radhya, and thanks for joining me today.
1: Uh, thank you, Saathir, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation.
0: Wonderful. So uh, to start this off, Radhya, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little to our viewers?
1: Well, yeah, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing law PhD right now at Cambridge. Um, mostly I uh, when I'm not researching, I like to play a few sports, but not much. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm basically from MP, uh, which is where I grew up, uh, a town called Java, and yeah, has been a couple of years since I moved out. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I mostly work on constitutional law currently for my PhD. Uh, I'm, my PhD project deals with how should we regulate and think about political parties within constitutional law. Um, it's, um, it's, it's always been a challenge um, because political parties really wield a lot of power but we don't know what to do with them. Uh, common, in common law, they were um, you know, entities same as like a cricket club or something like that. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm just, this, this is a puzzle that has occupied me for a couple of years now, is that there's such powerful entities that exist out there, but we barely think about them uh, as lawyers. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's where I am right now.
0: Right, wonderful. So, Aradha, to start this off, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your time in law school? You know, you went to NLS. So, how was it like for you? And what were the activities that you were involved in?
1: Yeah, um, I was I was one of those NKU cutlet first years, as our seniors used to go. Uh, where uh, you enter and you're like, oh, there's this world out there. So many things to be done. And you just meddle with everything else and everything that's available to you. Um, and then at some point, you suddenly realize, oh, no, uh, you also have to... Uh, do something about the the grades and the, and the exams that come up, and at some point you. At st- I, I, some point, I, decided, I narrowed down on a few activities. Um, so yeah, I, I did all those sort of regular activities that law school law students would do in their first year, second year, mooting, debating, um, other stuff. Probably the only kind of activity that I didn't participate and regret not doing it is as as um, alternate dispute resolution uh, competitions. Um, But apart from that, yeah, at some point uh, I decided I've uh, sort of uh, not decided. It's more if I discovered that I really enjoyed writing, and it's not because writing per se is a very enjoyable task. It's very painful. Uh, It's 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 horribly painful task. Um. Uh. But but it's perhaps because it's painful. It really makes you think uh, about the issue that you're thinking about in, in much more detail than perhaps you could do in a spoken. Uh, spoken language because when you're speaking you can give expressions uh, you can uh, uh, you can probably take other people uh, with you thinking that or oh, how they're reacting to specific things but when you're writing you don't know how someone who's reading it would react uh, it's a it's a very private activity to read something and hence writing becomes very challenging and I found most challenged writing to be honest and that's why I perhaps picked that it's not that I was very good at it but I was perhaps terribly bad at it and uh, it got me um uh, basically that that just just bugged me that's why I'm bad at it and then just started focusing on it quite a bit um but to be honest I did not publish much uh, later years of my law school uh try to just because perhaps I was still learning so I didn't have much to publish or at least not good quality stuff but apart from that it was a wonderful place um it's it's like a kid in a candy store when you walk in there's so many things to do um, and I, um, and yeah, so many activities, so many things to learn mostly from your peers sometimes on the, on the rooftops of the hostels. Right? Sure. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it was five wonderful years of many activities, but also of course, uh, it would be, it would be weird to say that all time in law school was just a uh, happy go lucky, lovely yeah. time. There were course uh, as, as, as young student, you face many insecurities, you face many, um, uh, challenges and those of course exist um the friends you make are perhaps the one you'll be stuck with even if you don't want <laughs> uh throughout your life although i uh, uh i like all my friends so i made that uh yeah um that way it was a learning experience but also quite challenging uh i often say this to my uh, friends or many people when asking you oh, know what was the most challenging move for you you moved from here to there that you know and I often say walking into the uh, first year uh, of, of, of undergraduate law school was was the was the most challenging experience because uh, from there to somewhere else is you, you're you expecting and you're probably older, you'll uh, be a bit more mature, but you just don't know when you're moving as a 17 year old uh, to this, uh, to these places. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really liked how sort of free going the time was. You had four hours of class in the morning and you come back and of course you'll have some work to do and stuff, but you... Uh, but you bother about it when the deadlines come close apart from that you just um, but at least i was the one who was just making plans every day on after classes i know what to do now <laughs> and the day will take its course uh, uh, those days are difficult to come by uh, again um, as much as one would expect um, but yeah that's how
0: I'd, i've just wonderful schools, yeah. wonderful So moving on, uh, at what point did you decide to do an LLM? And also a second part of this question would be, at what year do you think law students should start thinking seriously about their LLM application?
1: Yeah, um, to be very, very honest, I actually didn't decide if I'm definitely applying for LLM or not till the beginning of fifth year, Um, just, just before fifth year was about to begin. I was like, what to do now? And this is the time to make a decision. Um, And I was like, let's apply. Let's apply to a few places. So I'm not sure at what time one should decide, right? Um, But one advice that I would give is, uh, especially if you're in a five-year law degree, right? If you are in a three-year law degree, you probably have had an undergrad degree before and you've lived through your college life and all of that, and you have much less time to decide. But if you're in a five-year degree, it's also formative years, right? Um, uh, So one thing that I was very sure of uh, is that I don't want to spend all my five years preparing towards that one-year LLM, which will come after, right? Um, it, it, uh, it, 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 it's, it's really like a fascinating experience to be there. And uh, it, it would be sad if, unfortunate, uh, if, if all my five years were geared towards getting those that one LLM. Of course, one does many things, keeping in mind that, uh, oh, one might have to do something like that. So sort of get a few things done, um, sort of participate in a few kind of activities, get your grades high, right? So that's one thing that I was... Uh, unfortunately right I wish that you didn't require high grades to get into LLMs and all but it requires it was kind of um, you know getting good grades had no other role for me apart from the fact that you might require it at some point so except that except for sort of just ensuring that in in the uh, while participating in other activities I'm not um, I'm, I'm not letting my grades down um that's that that, 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 that come down that's that, that's the only thing sort of I was keeping in mind. Apart from that, uh, the decision really came at the end of fourth year, beginning of fifth year when um, when I had to sort of start making applications. Now, there's no right time when one should decide, but perhaps I would say sometime in fourth year if you're in a five-year degree or in second year if you're in a three-year degree would be a good time uh, to think about uh, your applying. One advice that I would have perhaps is is not to hurry. Uh, um, no, yeah, no, so no, not not to hurry, right? Uh, so if 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 you are not really pumped up about studying abroad, right, if it's just you don't know what to do after undergrad, and you're jumping into it, then perhaps it's okay to do something else, it can only improve your profile and everything, right, Um, and I also didn't know what I will do with my LLM, the only thing that I was sure about is that I wanted to study further, Uh, it was almost like I was not satisfied, like, yeah, I'm almost in my fifth year, and fifth year, um, I'm, 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 I'm assuming that could be the case with most undergraduate law schools in India is, this is kind of, a, is, I mean, fun year would be an understatement, right? <laughs> um, it's the, it's the year when you let yourself go, you, there are not many things at stake. It's, uh, or at least that, that it used to be so, uh, uh, in NLS back law. So that was the time when um, I decided, okay, most of my law school education is kind of over now, but I really still want to study further. It's, it's uh, uh, it is, um, it's, it's it's bugging me, right, that I haven't yet completed the education. Um, so if you're not sure about that, that you really want to study something further, then it's okay to wait it out. It's okay to get some work experience. And not okay, it will actually be much more beneficial to you, right? Um, but if you're sure that something is bugging, you, you really want to study further, you're not satisfied with your current education, um, then yeah, for sure, um, that would be the time. Now it also depends on some strategic reasons, right? Like your grades, your uh, you want to improve your profile. Some of the sometimes you just might not know. It's it, you can't really guess when you're applying whether you'll end up getting into it or not. It's uh, neither did I, right? Uh, you you apply and you see and let someone else make that decision. The idea is not to self reject, uh, which often tends to be the case. Um, but yeah, apart from that, there's no. I wouldn't pre- prescribe any specific. Here. The only thing I would probably recommend for good LLMs is just try to keep your great side without stressing yourself too much um, not I'm not saying everyone has to talk to class <laughs> neither did I um, but 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 keep them respectable enough that uh, uh, that's that, that a good that, that at least that won't be a roadblock everything else is up and the, there's no there's no recipe do what you like uh, right? but that's the only metric uh which which will stay uh, which will at least one of the metrics right uh, you can overcome that very easily with other things you do um, but, but still you, uh, yeah, apart from that, there's no, I wouldn't say there has to be some serious planning for certain kinds of LLMs publications and all that. And that's why I didn't end up, uh, publishing anything, uh, or at least not any major piece till the end of fourth year. It's uh, when I decided on to apply for LLMs, I, I had some good papers, I realized, but I was just writing them to learn. Right? Um, as I said, I was terrible at that. So I was like, why not let's write more to learn? Yeah. And then realized that, oh, now I should send some, some things I've written for publications because it might matter for LLM uh, if nothing else. And uh, that's when in fifth year, I decided to send some
0: things for publications and it worked out. Right. Uh, so what you said about waiting it out, if you're not sure is actually a good segue into the next question that I have. You went to Yale uh, directly after your undergraduate degree without any work experience, though you had interned with the attorney general and uh, judges of the Supreme Court. So did the lack of a work experience feel like a bit of a disadvantage at any time, or were you able to cooperate and you think it, it doesn't make much of a difference if you're serious enough about your higher education?
1: Correct. Um, now, I wish I had two other living life, right? <laughs> um, uh, if uh, one who went without work experience and one who went with work experience, um, and I could work out the counterfactual. Uh, but uh, but I would say I at least didn't feel that way. So one reason was that because when I went, I had not really invested myself into any particular area of law that I was, if I had worked in some area of law for a couple of years, I might come with a judgment that, oh, this is my area. right? That's exactly why I took the work experience, that I will know what I want to specialize in. And once you do that, uh, it might be limiting in the sense that you tend to very easily avoid courses which might not be uh, your interest area, but which might actually be great courses to learn. So my LLM courses were very, very diverse, very broad. Um, I, I I studied constitutional law, but I also studied international trade law. I did I, I did some stuff sort of law and economics related work. I did some law and technology related work there. Uh, so it's it's one of the advantages of going early is that you really get to explore so many options are available. I took a course in a politics department, right, uh, which I might not have. If I worked, I was like, oh, this is my area and this is where I specialize in. But on the other hand, if you, uh, if you have worked and you know, this is, I have one year and I have to focus, right. And then you can really tailor your courses according to the focus you have. So both of them are, uh, have their pros and cons, right. Um, I would, I would imagine that it it didn't really, I mean, I I didn't really feel that um, um, feel that if I had worked, I would be a better LLM student. It might just be that I might have made the use of my LLM slightly differently. uh, Very, very, uh, but, 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 but it doesn't mean that I would, uh, um, I I would discourage anyone from going immediately, right? Uh, Because uh, when when it comes to, when it comes to actually studying for courses, right, when it, uh, when, when, when you are. When you're there, uh, what it counts is really you have to really put yourself academically into it, right? You can't just be like, oh, I've worked, so I put my working skills. In fact, some of my friends also struggle with it because uh, working skills are very different from what you require to exert yourself academically, like, uh, As a student, or uh, or sometimes when you are doing research projects in your LLM, uh, so it's very difficult to then come to terms with it that now you're not worth. You don't have short deadline. You don't have sort of a client waiting tomorrow and you have to respond to the client, but you have to you have a few months and someone is very rigorously looking at very sometimes nitpicky, sometimes very technical things, it's not just sort of producing a deliverable very quickly. Um, So both have their pros and cons, right? Um, My decision to go immediately was that I, as I said, I was uh, ready to learn more. I was not tired. Some people have this and many of my friends didn't apply immediately because uh, they're like enough of this classroom education for five years. (laughs) It can't, can't be someone telling us or someone keep lecturing us or whatever in the class or want to go out there. Uh, but I was not satisfied yet. So I think that was the uh, that's that's the point where one should decide when one is ready to go back to classrooms and one is ready to
0: do that work on their own. Right. Uh, but as I understand, the LLM program at Yale is highly competitive. It's an extremely small class and uh, from what I understand, it's a course designed specifically for those interested in a career in academia. So um, despite not having a work experience, what do you think worked in your favor that helped you get admitted to Yale? Of course, you said that your grades are high, you had some publications, but looking back, what do you think worked well that helped you get in Yale?
1: Yeah, um, well, I would say luck. (laughs) Uh, But um, actually, I've been at about this song which I found very recently it's a, it's a song of late 90s uh, produced by this Australian director Baz Luhrmann uh, called Veer Sunscreen and I'd recommend it to your listeners and to you as well right where this beautiful line uh, your choices are half chance right? um, and we tend to uh, we tend to either celebrate the decisions we made if they go right uh, and tend to blame ourselves if they go wrong um, but if but if you're looking for a more concrete answer in terms of what should be the CV recommendation, et cetera, I mean, my guess might be that my publications, right? Uh, I had decent grades. I was not one of the top-notch in the class, but had decent grades. Um, and I had some publications. Um, I, Yale also has a research agenda, which is the only LLM which requires you to write a research agenda instead of, I mean, they do have a personal statement, but they do ask for well, what would be, if you come here, then what would be your research scholarly agenda, right? Um, I believe that might have been decent. But apart from that, it really, actually, it's very difficult to figure out what really works because it depends on the panel that's sitting that year and deciding amongst the applications you get who ends up applying that year, all of that, right? Um, so yeah, that, that, uh, that would be my wise answer. <laughs> um, but simplistic answer would be perhaps like a few like, publications, perhaps my grades, stuff like that.
0: Now, Aradha, because you have been educated at Oxford you're being educated at Cambridge and you've studied at Yale. Um, so obviously you are well acquainted with the uh, application process of various law schools. Do you think that applications can sometimes tend to be arbitrary? I mean, admissions and that, that something might not work even if you have a good CV or do you think that if you do have good enough grades and publications, etc., chances are you might get in. Um, yeah, I mean, look, by the uh, very definition, because there's a very strong subjective
1: element, right? Unlike, um, say, Indian examinations where you just, I mean, the exam itself might be set up in a, in a, in a, in a problematic way, in a, probably doesn't test many things, but whatever way it's set up, you at the end of the exam, you get a number, right? Um, and that m- and number might not show your ability or talent or something. It just shows that you were good on that day and that exam. That's it. So you know that you need to get so many such rank or whatever uh this this score to get into your but this application procedures you just don't know right i often get um uh, i mean there are some things which is very clear from some institutions which they so for instance in the uk particularly oxbridge are very clear about very high grades uh, as compared to us which actually gives a lot more weightage to your work experience and other uh sort of other achievements uh, here, if you're applying, then they're very, very sure that unless you are one of the top rankers, uh, you will not make it. Um, and I, I did apply to Oxbridge as well when I was uh, in undergrad. Uh, luckily, I could make it, but I still didn't know what decided. right. Uh, but but, but in the US, for instance, it gets a bit uh, it, uh, much more uncertain because you... Uh, you you don't know what will click with whose selection panels, right? So you you might have great work experience, but it's difficult to translate it into a CV entry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, the CV entry might look very uh, very sort of regular and not much because that's uh, that looks like an ordinary job, but it's very likely in that ordinary job you might have had some really uh, uh, impactful or, or 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 just great learning experience, right? Now you do get statements of interest and in all to show that, right? But as far as I know, um, at least with the postgraduate admissions, right? Undergrad ad- admissions in this basis could be different. But in postgraduate admissions, there is um, there is uh, the, 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 the thing with the statement of interest is that, um, I, and I might be wrong about it, right? Uh, but perhaps one of the reasons they put this question is to see students would commit any mistake rather than to expect some stunningly great statement of interest right um there's I, I i don't write some great statement of interest so personal <laughs> statement right? very someone will read it pedestrian it's a very fair pedestrian statements of interest very uh very template like right uh the ordinary you use very ordinary language no 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 i or at least i don't use any stuff flashy life anecdotes and all of that i try to keep it very because uh, it's it's not that my life was geared to study for an LLM, right? It's just one of the things you do, uh, which is a state you want to make or make it sound like for you. Everything you did uh, was geared towards somehow this one degree, right? And if it's not, then it's difficult to come out. If it was, then yes, you might have a very linear trajectory, but if it's not, then it's difficult to come out. So um, my understanding is that, that, it, that it's likely to be that. There has to be an element of arbitrariness in, in admissions. But that doesn't mean that they're just closing their eyes and picking anyone, right? Um, Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that there's always a pool of students, right? Uh, I mean, for sure, there are many rejections which are very clear that there should be rejections by anyone, right? Uh, On certain grounds. Um, But there's definitely a pool of students who come very close to getting admitted. and Who are rejected could very well be about the specific panel making that decision. Could very well be about some very minor things here and there in their CV and stuff. Uh, So it... uh, yeah. So once you are, once you're almost there, it right, Once but you, uh, within, within a larger pool of applicant applicants, you, 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 there will always be like a few people who you don't know how they're selected. Uh, very interestingly, Cass Sunstein who is a very famous legal scholar has recently came up with a book, oh, yeah. uh, on, nice. sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing. Um, uh, uh, no, not, not Cass Sunstein, sorry. Um, recently, uh, uh, the, uh, Harvard philosopher has come up with a book Tyranny of marriage, right. Um, um, Michael Sandel, right. Um, and uh, I was recently listening to a podcast about uh, what he was saying about his key ideas. And the key idea was that half of the, uh, the, the, the when, this, when they go ahead selecting students, after the shortlist, right, after the shortlist, the number of students that they have and the actual number of admissions, they make, there's very little difference um, between the candidates. And it could it could very well be on the grounds which is very difficult to figure out if they are justified or so my yeah my there's definitely some definite rejections right you could see that yeah some people might not be there or at least whatever criteria that the university is set up according to that but then amongst many other rejections or acceptances that you get there's a lot of chance and luck. right
0: uh, thanks for that so moving on it's also there's...
1: humbling it's also it's also humbling for you and both way if you if you do well or if you do
0: badly in the applications that it's not all your
1: fault neither is all it's all your achievement
0: True. That's that's very well put. Uh, So moving on, uh, let's talk about a few of your publications that you were telling us about that probably worked in your favor to secure an admission in Yale. Um, So I understand that numbers are by no means a metric to decide your application, but just so that our viewers get a broad idea, um, where all did you manage to publish as an undergraduate student and how many publications were there?
1: Of, actually, I don't remember numbers, but it were not more than four or five publications, I think. So I um, um, I published in some of the OUP journals. Um, I used to work a lot on law and tech. I still take a lot of interest in law and tech. Um, when I was an uh, undergraduate student, I still continue to keep up to date with the developments in that field, although my PhD project does not directly deal with it. Um, but I did publish in OUP's intellectual property law journal. Wow. I, think, uh, there I published in... Uh, uh, a law and tech journal there um, I was another paper was accepted uh, uh, in this journal called Journal of Evidence and Proof which is one of the top evidence law journals um, but I didn't end up uh, confirming that publication and sent it somewhere else but um, and there were a few Indian publications as well um, I'm forgetting um, one on tax law so it's basically as you can imagine right? You, you're you writing undergrad projects and yep. when you're writing you just to write Projects and when you are thinking of, oh, now I, I should send some stuff for publications, and it's your know, fourth year, I think, when I was like, oh, I have some good papers, why not just use them and send it across for publications? So, yeah, uh, there was one, and I think in NLU Jotful Law Review, which I'm, oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm forgetting, <laughs> but basically not more than five or six. So, right. um, like, I think there was an equal divide. Some, I think three of them were in international journals, and three of them were in Indian journals um yeah this actually the, brings the, the, me oh yeah I'm, I'm so sorry please please go on no 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 it's, it's basically the uh the, the kind of topics that you only want to address to indian audience right uh i thought let's just go ahead with indian journals and um the kind of the topics that might actually be relevant to some kind of global audience a competitive audience i published it in international journals.
0: So just a connected question to this, do international journals carry more weight when an application is being considered or are Indian law review journals of equal standing?
1: Yeah. So it all depends on specific journal, right? So uh, it's not Indian versus international as much as just a relative uh, reputation, so to speak, or just long or, or, or or your peer review, the the kind of peer reviewers those journals are getting. Right. Um, So one can publish there are many sort of international journals which are borderline scams right? <laughs> uh, uh, you can pay money and get published and All stuff right. like that um, so it's not about international versus indian it will be very easily but some indian journals are fantastic right uh, indian law review is a fantastic law review right uh, much better than many many international law journals i'm sure um, and so was like some of the really good law reviews run by students in india right? um i um the NUGS Law Review is great, analyst, Law Review, some of the other law reviews. I was myself uh, and uh, editor of Indian, uh, chief editor of Indian Journal of Law and Technology, which is one of the purely good journals in law and technology around the world, some international uh, some top law scholars are published in that, and there are many others, right? Some, uh, some a couple of Indian journals and it's, uh, it's, it's producing great scholarship, uh, run by students, a very American model, but I think they've started asking for peer reviewers for most of the articles, so there's both an element of student run, but also peer review, which also really brings up the quality. So I, um, and most of them are open access. I actually really like publishing in Indian, Indian journals, um, mostly, if, especially if I'm writing something about India, if it's a more global uh, piece, then I would like it to be published uh, 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 internationally. But I think because it's A, it's open access, uh, most of the uh, OUP and all those journals are not open access. Uh, so it really brings down the access. So, um, yeah, that's way it's, it's not. So, just, just do some background check before you decide right. which journals to get to and stuff, right? Uh, but try to avoid international for the sake of international, right? Um, and some Indian journals are doing really amazing.
0: Right. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, another trend in publication these days is that of blogs and articles. You see a lot of law review blogs and articles coming up, and some of them are run by even Oxford. I think Oxford has a human rights blog. Um, Harvard has one on constitutional law, so does Cambridge. Now, do you think publishing, obviously publishing a paper is much more significant than publishing a blog, but do you think you can put your blog and article uh, publications in your CV as well, along with your article publications, or do they not carry that much weight?
1: No, uh, you should actually. And uh, in fact, I started the first writing of you on one of those academic blogs. Right? Uh, and I think blog writing is a very good habit. Going forward, um and going forward it's going to be one of the major sources of legal scholarship. So yeah of course if you're writing your own personal blog on medium then don't put it yeah. unless I mean put it uh, that's not a problem uh, but just that it might not carry much of the weight but uh yeah if you're, if you're publishing on the sort of journal run blogs so some of the great blogs just run by uh, legal scholars like, like in India we know many of the blogs yeah. uh, all of those definitely they are producing top-notch work um mm-hmm. It'll take so much time uh, once you send it to them by the time they come out they could be out of date it's a blocks where the real action is happening right? <laughs> when it comes to uh, a lot of interesting thoughts um, journals is sort of it's not the journals don't have point just that um, the kind of pieces that are more suited to journals are not which are um, sort of um it's like long you it, it could be a piece which someone could go 10, 10 years later and still could see and could learn something from it or like five years later right think about it that way but blog is something that you want someone to read in the next couple of weeks uh, then, then that's the place for you to go about publish it right um, And I think one should start one should really develop that habit of, uh, of writing sort of shorter pieces. Um, blog also force you to not use much academic jargon because uh, most blogs would like to appeal to wider audience at least wider than um than an academic journal would like to write um, so that is a very good practice and one should put it in their cv um uh, respect, whether it's run by journals or whether some sort of good legal scholars are running their blog like uh, i've written a lot on spicy ip and the oh, yeah. and things and oh. when i was a student uh, and yeah there's there's some uh, i there's some really good places where you can uh, actually uh apply creativity which journals wouldn't uh, allow you to so i remember uh uh, AIP, right? All India show had come up with a video about spoofs yeah. Yeah, and yeah. writing a, a piece about spoof and copyright, which uh, journals wouldn't allow, uh, and, or at least it will not come out so quickly. Like the video was out and probably in the next week or so I had a blog piece. Um, so yeah, it, it really sort of um, harbors creativity, which is which is great. Um, and yeah, but it's, it's always a great idea to actually start and write blog posts and see if those develop into some ideas which are yeah. which which could be relevant a couple of years down the line and then develop them into broader ideas and publish in the journal right and blogs also a great way to think it out loud yeah. because this time in academic journal you're going to peer review or at least much more rigorous there are blogs also which have peer review now but you are much more rigorous peer review right in academic journals so Blogs are a good way to put your thoughts out and perhaps later then develop them into like a broader article because once you publish, you can send it to a few people or some people might
0: respond to it. Um, and you might end up thinking a lot more about it after you write a short piece. Right. Wonderful. So now I, I want to talk about the Inlak scholarship, which is one mm-hmm. of um, the most prestigious scholarships and also extremely competitive. You got it. So basically a free ride to US education, which otherwise can be very, very expensive. Now, I won't really ask um, about the application process because I think most of that information is available on the website. So to anyone who's watching, I will put a link to the scholarships information in the website and you can check the broad contours out. To Aradia, I will ask um, what specific strategy did you apply, if at all there was one, uh, while applying for the scholarship? Because it's so competitive and it's very hard to get in. And it's also not restricted to just law, right? I suppose there are other disciplines which also get the scholarship. So how was your journey of getting in LAX like?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, there was no particular strategy. I just prepared a little bit for the interview, which is mostly knowledge-based preparation, right? So uh, once us, I, of course, I wrote a very, uh, I, I converted my, one of my LLM statements geared towards in LAX um, uh, selection criteria. Uh, to to once I sent the application, then I was shortlisted for the interview. I uh read a lot of sort of legal developments that were happening around that time, right? So, uh, current affairs, but geared towards law and my related int- the fields that I was interested in, um, uh, sort of law and technology, constitutional law, those kind of uh, issues that I was focusing on. Now, if you're interested in that, you probably might know those developments happening anyway, right? But um, but it's it's good to sort of brush up, read a few uh either blog posts or, 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 uh, or op-eds on those areas, right? So that was kind of my preparation. Plus also, you might have put many things on your CV. So just uh, figure out exactly what you put, right? Some things you might have done a couple of years ago and you might not exactly remember. And you might have said, oh, I worked on a criminal case in this blah, blah, blah. And they might ask, oh, what did you work on? What area of law or what, what kind of case was this? So try to figure all of that out and like sort of take notes down what all you worked on. Um, yeah, so that, that was the kind of preparation that I did. Uh, there are two interviews for index. First is taken by it's a, it's law specialist interview, so It will be the lawyers or judges. Um, a panel, I think of three to four people, I guess. And, um, and, and, and yeah, so they will try to see like how you are, whether you're well-versed with, I mean, not really the legal knowledge, but legal thinking. So if they throw some question at me um, on, on some ongoing issue, whether I can have a discussion with them, right? Um, but I was at, at least, I was not asked any knowledge based questions. Uh, tell me this or tell me that. It's mostly about, uh, in fact, uh, I was asked a question about uh, um, plea bargaining and whether this idea, what do you what do I think about this? And I remember them also telling me, uh, Do you want us to explain what plea bargaining is? We can. And I was like, No, I, I know the basic idea. But even if you didn't know, then they were. Oh, or at least that's my experience now again uh, i've only sat in my interview so others might have had a very different experience right. um final interview was a very general interview so i don't know how i could prepare for that except for just uh telling myself calm down <laughs> <laughs> because um it could be sort of very different audience it's a very generalist audience there could be artists there could be um Economists there, there were some philosophers, there were lawyers, like all journalists. There could be very different kind of sort of people sitting in one room, uh, in a snow, and it, it could be a bit scary. Right like now, I guess it might be happening online, um, but um, um, but yeah, I, I don't know how else could I prepare apart from preparing for that first round, which is just brushing up my CV, well knowing exactly what I did and why I wrote what I wrote in my CV, um, knowing the good reasons for what I why I want to do LNM Uh, how will it be of any use, right? Or whatever work I'm doing after that. Um, And being reasonably certain about what you want, at least in the immediate future out of your LLM, right? Uh, Even if you don't, I mean, even if you don't know exactly where you'll end up, right? You don't need to have clear, chalked out path, but this is what I want to do or my, when I'm doing my LLM, this is what will be in my mind uh, when I'm doing LLM. This is where I'm headed after the LLM or at least, if things work out, this is what I'd like to be added towards. Um, So apart from those, I didn't have any sort of uh, other other preparations or sort of strategy in, in mind. Um, I do remember a friend telling me this story on uh, trying to work them up during the interview. Now, I don't know if it's, if it's right or not, but I've heard the story of someone um really challenging them like oh why are you working on this this is not really relevant it doesn't help anyone why do you want to study this oh. and as it turned out the friend gave a good example and said mm-hmm. uh, listen um i'll give you an example why this is important and it was a very fairly straightforward example um and apparently they calmed down this was just to see how you react in the pre- pressure situation um so i guess um apart from that there's no just just keep sometimes it People do get frustrated when oh I have I know this so well why do you not know so it's your fault right <laughs> so if uh, you have such a generalist audience and someone asks questions about law and you're like oh why do you not know about this term called uh, fundamental rights or, or or proportionality or whatever you know like whatever term you might know uh, which is very easy to for, uh, for but of course if you're studying in that area you know that term well but you might not as a generalist and uh, the probably the onus is on you to how to take them along with you in the conversation um but yeah apart from stiff uh yeah just uh it's again <laughs> you as i said uh it's uh it's a lot of luck it's a lot of luck on that day um it could just be a very bad bad day like the interview day could just be uh you're not in your best mood or the interviewer are not in their best mood or exactly when you went in they were not in their best mood or there's just yeah. one question which threw away the entire conversation instead of so, you can't. I don't know the planning or all of this really helps, but what preparation does is at least it gives you some confidence that, oh, I've done my best now. So, I put some effort, I've, I've read stuff, and I've prepared my CV well. So, it gives you some confidence. I think that's the only addition of preparation, not really as if like you could really crack the interview. There is some, or, or at least I haven't figured If you actually figure out, oh, please let me know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so, moving on, Arata, do you think that? the law school that a student goes to in India matters while applying for the INLACS or a top-notch college like somewhere in Ivy League or Oxbridge? Or do you think that law school isn't an important consideration?
1: Um, it's a difficult question to answer. I wouldn't think it would be as important as um, as we would think or as, you, or as many students tend to think. Um, so the uh, it's definitely exaggerated the impact of law school you are from. Um, it might be it might be of effect in the sense that the law school you go to might give you certain peer group and might have certain additional opportunities, which law schools, which other law schools might not, and hence you might be able to use those opportunities to bolster up your experience and your CV and your knowledge. But as such, as as, as sort of you are from this law school versus that law school is not particularly as important as you'd like to think right i have, I have friends here who have uh, come from very very different law schools um from india and are doing llm here or have done llm or uh, and at other places uh so it's it's uh, it's as such it's not important to, for its own sake it's not it's not the tag right it's it's uh, you might someone coming from um, a, a, a law school which does not have as many opportunities might have to work figure out where just how to find those opportunities right uh but once you do that um then um it's it's the which law school you went to will not necessarily hold you back um yeah that's 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 what i would say uh so it's reflected in a it's 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 reflected in how you might end up uh that you might have to end up sort of putting extra effort mm. uh but i don't think it's reflected directly uh in terms of oh, you're coming from this law school, so you couldn't get into this Because at least empirically, we have seen people from very diverse law schools going and doing LLM at uh, absolutely top-notch places abroad.
0: Right, that's encouraging. Uh, so the next question is, again, about foreign education, especially in uh, America. Without a scholarship, an LLM can be extremely expensive if you look at the tuition costs and everything. Now, a lot of students who perhaps go for an LLM might have the consideration of obtaining a job after that degree. But a lot of interviews and other uh, writings have shown that getting a job after an an LLM might not be as easy as you think. So do you think that without a scholarship, it is still a good investment to go abroad and study, uh, especially when opportunities might be scarce after that economically?
1: Look, uh, depends very much on your personal circumstances. I wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to, right? Um, even if I wanted to. So yeah, uh, unless I'm guessing, it's also on what depends on what you want to do after that, right? Um, so it's definitely um, if 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 you want to go into sort of corporate law firm jobs, then they might be paying very very well. So it might be worth investing. If you're very sure that's the career you want, then. Then, do, then you might see this as literally as sort of an economic investment, right? For the benefit that you get out of very high salaries abroad in corporate law jobs, right? Uh, but if that's not the case, and if you say, want to be in academia or you want to make some policy-based career or something else, uh, then it will be very difficult for you to keep this very high. Either you're taking a loan or, or, or whatever, borrowing money from wherever you are borrowing money from. Uh, it will be quite a lot of pressure, right? And you might be then forced into taking up work that you might not like. Um, but again, it depends on your personal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you are, uh, if you can afford it without any major pain, then yes. But I guess most people, uh, most Indian students wouldn't be able to very easily. There was very few lucky. Uh, they have to be very privileged to not be uh, worried about it. Uh, but most people would be. So in that case, I'll, I'll recommend that of, so if, if if you're depends on what you want to do after that, and if it's something where uh, you might not reap a lot of economic benefit very immediately, right? If you are going into academia, if you're going into policy, if you're going into any such career, uh, then you might, or say you're coming back to litigation in India where for at least a couple of years you're not getting paid very well, mm-hmm. uh, then it might be a very um, then, then you have to think about it whether this investment is worth it, right? Uh, and I would, i if, if it were me, I wouldn't do it. Uh, uh, my personal choice would be if I want to do any of these, come back, then. Uh, and I I'm paying the entire LLM cost myself, then I've, I would spend years and years of my life bothering about it for a degree which is not necessary to do any of these things. It does add up, but it's not necessary. Um, and, um, yeah, that but that really depends on your personal circumstances. I don't... I mean, I would also say that the impact of LLM and like further education is also slightly exaggerated. Uh, for, for some careers where you don't require, or, uh you, you can very easily sort of give it to, oh I should do it. Right? If you get funding, you're yeah, definitely there's no, uh, there's no harm in doing, uh, it's one year of your life, probably uh, it's very well spent for sure. Right. But if it's not, then, um, then you have to put a thought to it if it's like, what? And particularly US LLMs tend to get very expensive
0: um so yeah well, that's, um, that's great so, advice but
1: and I, I was sure i wouldn't do it without money i wouldn't be able to afford it at all
0: right well yeah. thanks for sharing that uh, now i'll just quickly come to the final set of questions that i have and they are slightly away from all the heavy issues that we've discussed so far now rather you have uh, studied at yale nls as well uh, then oxford cambridge uh, where did you like studying the most
1: well, um, to be honest, my best time was spent at NLS. Um, that's the time. I mean, uh, all, I mean, these places are lovely. Um, there's no doubt. But that's where, like, I found myself. I learned all the things that I, I mean, that's where I laid my foundations right. And then you built up on that. Uh, and it's just, uh, just just the sheer joy of not having your time uh, really tracked, How <laughs> kind of. Which I mean, to be honest, that's not the case here as well. It's not because PhD does give you a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, sort of uh, way to design your own schedule, but uh, undergraduate education also has it. Everyone else is also around you, or your friends are also doing the same. There's no immediate pressure of uh, what doing you next. Uh, so, and and also some some really great learning because it tends to be so that in Indian uh, undergraduate education at least until now. Uh, your key learning is not happening in classrooms right or your key learning is not happening while you are doing all your academic or performing your academic obligations your key learning is happening totally outside sometimes through activities or sometimes just conversations with your friends i've learned so much um now those lingering conversations are just uh very difficult to come by. happens once in a while but um they mm-hmm. they don't happen as sort of uh, impromptu unplanned and definitely, I think uh, some of the yeah I mean one, one can argue you didn't have all the facilities and all of that right uh, uh, or maybe I'm just romanticizing maybe it's just a nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have no doubt that if someone asks me what's the best time that I've spent out of all these places, I'll say my undergrad. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it I really like. I really like all the places I've been to um, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's just probably nothing to do with the place, but the states that you are, it's just when you're undergrad, it's, uh, it's much easier to have all those. Great.
0: So, so, just, please, just please, uh, s- please enjoy the remaining years you have, and all other listeners. <laughs> right, right. I mean, just, uh, it is very nostalgic because for the last two years, all our classes have been online and the real law school experience has been missed out on. And I'm hoping that we can all get to go back to our regular classes soon. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, move, moving on so Radha now what comes next for you you're doing your PhD and uh, what do you plan on doing after that is a career in academia uh, under your consideration or what are you thinking about
1: um, I'm actually still thinking about it like what I should be doing after my PhD um, PhD is still a couple of years to go um, so now uh, one not, 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 not jumping the gun yeah. uh, will when it's about when I have to make the decision. Uh, I pretty much like the academic engagement with law, but that's different from uh, making a career in academia. Um, and that decision one shouldn't just make based on stuff, uh, one's interest, but also all the realistic uh, all, all, all the realistic sort of uh, problem. There could be problems, or there could be opportunities, whatever it is, uh, considerations right? Uh, in, in a career. Any, anything that once it becomes a career, <laughs> from mere interest has its own limitations and whether uh, whether those limitations are something that I'm uh, that I'm happy with or not Um, at the same time I practice of law is thoroughly fascinating as well right Uh, Mm so yeah let's see one of the uh, wherever wherever two years down the line I think I want to end up
0: wonderful Wonderful. I'm excited Um, to I'm excited to uh see you where you land up and I'm sure there's so much to learn from your journey and from what is to come. So just I'll quickly ask my final question now. Um, so before we started recording, I actually asked Aradhya to fix his camera and he removed a fat book from underneath his tablet. So I will ask him, Aradhya, what kind of books do you enjoy reading? And this discussion on books is something I usually have with all the guests who've been on Letter of Law. And if you have, since you work on constitutional law, if you have any recommendations for us in that area that you'd want our viewers to read or you think they should?
1: Yeah, um, well, um, right now I'm reading a short story collection of um, this Argentine author called Boris. Um, and it's a short story collection called Labyrinth. Uh, and sounds really amazing. It's it's taking a lot of time because it's a very intense, told short story. It's a very small book, but it's taking a lot of time because it's. Um, it's uh, it's written in a very intense way. And once you read it thoroughly, you realize that, no, it's, 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 it's uh, it's for a reason. So I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying reading that now. Um, One of the short story that I'd recommend to your uh, listeners is is this lottery in Babylon. I think Babylonia, I'm not sure, but just if you search uh, Boris story on a lottery and it's a, it's very interesting story about what would happen if you try to design a society around luck. No, no. um, And how would, uh, basically on, on the basis of a lottery, right? Uh, many of your very, very important decisions in life are just around lottery, on who gets what. Um, that ties up very interestingly into that, this discussion that we're having, right, on how much is in your control and how much is yeah. um, But to be honest, a lot of my learning these days are happening from podcasts. Um, oh. And perhaps uh, we should really embrace them as uh, instead of uh, book recommendations, now I started asking people for podcast recommendations as well um and so great job that you're making this podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um uh but yeah some of i really like this podcast radio lab which is run by uh, wnyc a uh, really wonderful sort of lingering on. Oh, so this is actually uh uh the radio lab is like a science started as a science podcast but it's very well designed um Podcast, but of course, there's also very there's an Indian podcast, The Seen and Unseen, so about lingering oh, yeah. conversations yeah. over hours, mm-hmm. and some really fascinating discussions there. I was recently listening to Karthik Dharan's um, episode on Indian healthcare, uh, some fascinating points there. So yeah, uh, perhaps you should add this to uh, one of the questions that you asked again about podcast recommendations, and I would love to know some from <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> true and if if none of my guests take letter of law's name i won't release their episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
1: but uh, but because you asked me about constitutional law as well i would recommend this book uh, which actually recently also got a big prize uh how constitutional rights work so the interesting um because uh, we tend to focus a lot on sort of constitutional rights in India, Indian constitutional law is very occupied with that. It's very interesting to know what all it requires for a right uh, to actually work from it, from just guaranteeing it in the text. Um, um, that's
0: a very interesting book, uh, which I am actually currently in the process of completing. Yeah. Wow. So Great. So, I mean, just before we conclude, since we're on the topic of podcasts and Yale, there's a podcast run by Scott Shapiro, who's a professor at here, called the Jurisprudence Podcast. I absolutely love that. And perhaps my viewers would like to check that out. Uh, and with this, Aradhya, I think we can come to an end of today's conversation. Thank you so very much for taking the time out and speaking so candidly on a lot of issues, um, especially for students who don't have access to people who go to you know these top-notch universities. I think uh, videos like these can be a great resource. And I hope your journey inspires and helps those of us who are watching this. I'm sure. I know it did It did help me a lot. So thanks a lot, Adya. Sure. Uh,
1: just as a concluding line, so I, I don't know why I'm uh, uh, mentioning this song again. And again, I should probably get royalties, which is where sunscreen <laughs> very sunscreen. There is a very interesting quote there in the same song is, um, uh, most interesting 22 years old I know uh, didn't know what to do when they were 22. Most interesting 40 years old I know still don't. So um, if you don't, student don't worry about it um keep thinking but something will
0: this. wonderful i think with this i will stop recording thank you once again very much